it's marriage. It's all up for grabs, it seems. Do we even want leadership in marriage? Does it even exist? The whole concept of marriage has been contested at its most basic level. But I trust there's wisdom here today for everyone involved in marriage in some way. And the Holy Spirit showed me that God specifically wants to reveal his redemptive heart for everyone impacted by marriage today. That means that most of you in the room, even if you aren't a wife, can I encourage you to believe that God has something to say today that I hope will have relevance for all of us? And God has a redemptive way of transforming sorrow, bitterness and pain into something beautiful. Pastor Clive reminded us a few weeks ago of the prophetic word from 2015 that warned that marriages were on the verge of collapse, and we take it really seriously, but we believe that God's heart is to heal marriages at this time. Now, you may have seen your parents' marriage break down, or you might have been in a difficult marriage yourself, or you might have other reasons related to marriage that have caused you distress, pain, or bitterness. Or you might have experienced the bitter, critical spirit of the age that creeps into our relationships with this kind of sense of entitlement that says, my rights, my way, my wishes, my needs, and tries to destroy our most important relationships. But whatever your experience is, God's word can bring us healing and wholeness in the whole arena of being a wife also helps us to reimagine what godly leadership and relationship in marriage looks like and feels like. So as we look at our passage, why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to give you fresh revelation, fresh associations, fresh thoughts, fresh attitudes, and fresh approaches to marriage. It can change your own situation and, and impact the families we raise by creating our redemptive marriage we could also create a redemptive family where all things and all people involved are made new. It's what most people dream of. So shall we look at our passage? We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 21, which says this, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives... This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually um, shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, 
but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So can you spot the two words directed at wives in marriage? Anyone? Submit and respect. And then it can be, I know, it's like, oh, should I say these words? <laughs> okay, let's, let's, let's practice saying these, these difficult words. Submit and respect. Now, they can be summed up under the banner of honor. Can you say, that means honor? Yes, that means honor. Right. I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at both words separately and try and unpack or reimagine what these words mean. So verse 21 and 22 of Ephesians 5 say, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. So verse 22 is clearly an outworking of that general encouragement for everyone to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Can you notice that verse 22 ends with the phrase, as to the Lord? Yeah, there it is, as to the Lord, which I will suggest today is the key to all of this, this little phrase, as to the Lord. And then when you see Paul is summing up what he wants us to take away about husbands and wives, he says, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So Paul says the wife must respect her husband. So to take this word submit, as a child, I was deeply offended by the word submit. And it was a source of great stumbling to me growing up. Submit for me had connotations of being dominated, of being bossed around, having to be a passive doormat, utterly resigned to my fate, subjugated, oppressed, silenced. I think it was maybe probably because of the type of church that I grew up in that cemented the idea in me. Because the main role women had within the church I grew up in was making the tea, serving the tea, and teaching in Sunday school. Now, I once got to serve tea um, in this massive silver teapot at a church meeting. I was probably about 18 at the time. And I actually burned an old lady's arm. And not surprisingly, she was really unhappy and she was quite grumpy with me. And um, to be honest, I don't think my teapot handling skills were appreciated from then on in. I don't remember being asked again (laughs) to serve tea. Now, like making the tea, serving the tea, teaching in Sunday school, these are all really good things. I've come to see that. I mean, I love that people make tea. I love that people serve tea. I mean, I love going over there and knowing that somebody served tea. It's a delight to me. 
I love that we teach our kids, but as a child, I felt like all womanhood was being squeezed into this teeny, restrictive, oppressive box. And in fact, my dream was to preach and teach the Bible. And in fact, I used to play at being a preacher, and I used to preach to my siblings, whether they liked it or not. And whenever my parents cleaned their church hall, I used to stand at the lectern and preach to an imaginary audience. So can you imagine, like, the dream has been realized. Now, we went to Huggy Church, and when we played at meetings, we would go around and we'd always go around and shake each other's hand at the end, like, like this, and shake everyone's hand because we didn't do the Huggy thing. But all this and other unresolved disappointments left me in quite a lot of turmoil, and I carried that turmoil into the early years of our marriage. I was sometimes independent spirited I was quietly rebellious I had a tendency to be easily offended and embittered about life's disappointments and so in reaction I did what I wanted to do and I pleased myself now Andrew I have to say was very patient he was very kind and tolerant but I have to say I sabotaged our happiness in our marriage um, more than once um, basically because I didn't stop to respect Andrew's wishes or feelings thankfully I've forgotten most of the incidents in God's sea of forgetfulness and forgiveness. <laughs> bar, bar a few. <laughs> and I was going to say, thankfully, Andrew never reminds me of these incidents on account of that verse about, you know, love not keeping a record of wrongs. But in fact, it was actually, this is an encounter weekend. And it was by going on encounters that helped me resolve a lot of the issues from my childhood, where I actively forgave those who need, I needed to forgive and sought forg- forgiveness from those I'd wronged through my bitter rebellion. That's why I love encounters. My heart softened through encountering a love that I'd never, ever known before, God's love. And it transformed all my relationships. And I was much more willing to yield to people for the sake of Christ, including in my marriage. It meant that I could reimagine, submit through the filter of the love of Christ. But I did continue to wonder, well, what if my husband is wrong? Why should I submit then? (laughs) But it's interesting in the letter to the Ephesians that Paul mentions wives and how they can respond to their husbands first before he then turns to husbands. So the implication is that even if your husband isn't always right, you can have a right attitude to them. And I think that can be extended to all relationships in our lives. Now, in the family setting, we see that both fathers and mothers carry authority or leadership when raising their children. And it it makes sense to any parent when raising their children that their children come under and accept their authority or leadership, yeah? But in marriage, it's a wee bit trickier. We understand that a man and a woman are equal in the eyes of God. But the idea that the husband carries authority or leadership in the marriage and the wife accepts it is much harder in our Western world, and we've seen and heard of numerous, numerous abuses of leadership in marriage where the husband uses his position to lord it over his wife, sometimes in the most cruel and abusive ways. 
And so we've had this tendency, I think, to react to these abuses, to either ditch the whole idea of leadership in marriage or seek a role reversal where the wife takes that leadership role or both husband and wife just simply please themselves. But when we understand that leadership in marriage means that the buck stops with the husband, that he is ultimately accountable for the outcome of the marriage before God, although obviously that doesn't absolve the wife from her responsibility to keep her side of the covenant. But when we understand that, the husband assuming leadership seems an altogether more attractive prospect. Well, certainly from my point of view. Uh, And so Paul says, for the sake of Christ, women should submit to their husbands. But Paul's comparison of marriage being like Christ and the church give us some kind of an idea of what he had in mind when it comes to this word submit. He compares the husband to Christ and says that just as Christ is the head of the church, so the husband is the head of his wife. He specifically calls Christ the savior of his body, the church. So, No pressure there, husbands whatsoever, being compared to Jesus. Wives are called to submit to their husbands in the context of a marriage where the husband is likened to Jesus, the Savior. And that speaks to me of leadership, strength, sacrificial love, and an ability to carry the wife's burdens, sorrows, pains, weaknesses, and faults. Christ has gone before us as one who was fully prepared to submit to the Father's will, even though he's on equal terms with the Father. I don't know if that's ever struck you before. And he is the one fully able to carry authority by being the head of the church. So we're not asked to do anything in our relationships that Christ hasn't already done before. He goes before us, and he is our motivation. And just as Jesus submitted to his Father in everything... Wives are called to take the same attitude towards their husbands. So I'm going to give you a model that helps us reimagine what it means for a wife to submit in marriage. And it's called the give way sign. Americans use the the sign yield, and it pretty much means the same thing. If you come to a junction and you see a give way sign, what do you have to do? You have to give way. Thank you. That's, that's right. You have to wait for all the traffic to pass before you turn out of the junction. Giving way to our husbands is one way of submitting for the sake of Christ, out of our worship for Jesus and out of our faith in God, that God's got this. Now, I remember when my mom was very ill back in 2014, I received a phone call from my sister who was with my parents up in Tayport, Scotland. And my sister Susan said, the doctors have said she's failing fast. You need to come up now. And it just sent me into a, a wild panic. And in a state of emotional distress, I phoned Andrew at work and said, I'd be leaving soon as possible. And basically, I ran around the house like a crazed person, try, you know, throwing clothes around and trying to pack and make plans and leave the house. And Andrew actually phoned me back and said, very nicely, don't you think 
it's a better idea just to wait till tomorrow to leave, just so you've got time to get yourself organized and figure out what you want to do with the kids so you can feel more at peace. And to begin with, I said, I'd like to be able to say, yes, my dear husband, that was good, good advice. But I said, no, I have to leave now. After calming down, I decided to yield to Andrew's wishes and I left in the morning. I seem to remember that Roxana and Natalia, Mary Gomez's niece, came over and helped while I packed and I prepared more calmly and they actually prepared food for the family as well. I left in the morning with Andrew's blessing rather than leaving straight away and had this sense of peace and trust in God that this was the better way. And it was the better way because mum didn't actually die straight away. We even celebrated my parents' 49th wedding anniversary while I was up there for that trip. Now, it can feel so hard sometimes to give way, but doing it for the sake of Christ means that it becomes an act of worship and a demonstration of faith in God. Or it means giving way to our ideas of what is right in favor of theirs to allow them to flourish as the spiritual leader in the marriage. Now, to go back to this season of our lives when my mum was dying, I'd been up in Scotland with my mum and my dad for about three or four days, and Andrew said to me on the phone, do you know what? I really think the kids need you to come home for the weekend just to give them a bit of stability. And again, I felt so conflicted because I really felt that it was like my God-given assignment to be there when my mum was dying. But I decided to respect Andrew's wishes and come home. And my sister Susan said to me, but what if mum dies while you're away? And I had to say to her, look, I'm going to trust God with this. If Andrew says come home for the sake of the kids, then I'm going to do that. And I did go home and I filled up my children's love tanks with lots of hugs and then headed back um, up to Scotland on the Monday. And my mum didn't die until the following Sunday, as it turned out. Imagine if I had stubbornly and determinedly stood my ground. I'd have created so much more ill will in the family, but this way there was peace. Then there was also the time when our children had piano lessons and Rachel desperately wanted to give up piano. And I felt that maternal pity for her, like poor sweet baby, it's just so hard for her. And... (laughs) Um, But Andrew spoke up and said to Rachel, I'd really like you to continue with piano lessons. I think you'll be glad you did when you're older. Are you glad you did, Rachel? Yeah, it's, it's been a good thing in Rachel's life to have music in her life. If I had overruled Andrew out of maternal sympathy, I could have sabotaged Rachel's future and made it that little bit harder to be an overcomer in life for her by letting her take the easier path. I'm glad that I gave way to Andrew. But sometimes the demands or requests of our husband can seem wrong or misguided, and then submission seems like a really bad idea. But my take on this is that if he's not asking you to do something criminal or contrary to, the, to God's laws, then you know what? You can still give way to him out of trusting God that he can make right any wrong decisions. But that also means not holding against your husband if it doesn't work out, or using this as an opportunity to go all passive and secretly blaming it all on him. Now, 
As you know, we've said this several times, today is the 1st of December. Now, the Bowie House is rejoicing today because um, we no longer have to hold back on singing Christmas songs. (laughs) We have this rule in the house instigated by Papa Bowie here that Christmas has a boundary, and the boundary is the 1st of December. (laughs) Okay? Now, when I was prepping for this talk, holy conviction came over my life because me and Rachel had been listening to Kim Walker Smith's Christmas album in the car. <laughs> so I was like, we can't do that anymore. And I have to say that um, we got through to de- uh, December the 1st with, well, there were a few infractions, but they weren't deliberate. They just came out of my, do you know the, the bell song? The, da, 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 da. It just came out of my mouth. Oh, merry, merry, merry. It was, I, I couldn't help it. And then I realized what I was singing and, you know, I stopped. So today is a great day of rejoicing. <laughs> Submission can also mean waiting for your husband to wait to make a decision about something that we've instantly thought of and we know for an absolute certainty that it really is a good idea but we choose to wait until we have their agreement again this this way of thinking comes in handy for all areas of life particularly in the workplace but in, with other relationships in the church setting this is do you know your good ideas at some point will be taken hold of but sometimes you have to wait okay but a cautionary word submitting is not letting your husband make all the hard tricky game-changing decisions because that way it'll be his fault if it doesn't work out now the prime example from our marriage was when we had sold our house and had put it and put in an offer for the house that we're now currently living in now there were some problems with the house and Andrew was just that little bit unclear about whether or not we should proceed with the sale And I was thinking, well, I just have to wait for Andrew to make a decision because I thought that was submission. And I was chatting to Pastor Sally about it. And she said that submitting doesn't mean letting your husband make all the decisions. It means talking everything through and giving your thoughts and opinions and then taking responsibility to make decisions in the Lord submitting comes into play if we don't agree and can't find a solution and in the case of proceeding with the house Sally asked me do you have a conviction in God about this house and it turns out that God had actually given me a specific word about the house and when we talked about it together Andrew and I we were able to proceed with faith and it's turned out that this house has been a real blessing for us so I learned a real lesson Um, from Sally about decision making in marriage and so we understand that submission isn't passing the buck and then secretly resenting our husbands and it also doesn't mean that we have to spend our lives like doffing our caps before our husbands you know like make way make way for our husbands or anything like in that way allowing ourselves to become doormats that isn't the godly model of submission okay just to be clear on that, and I hope you've all heard that really clearly, especially husbands. I don't want you going home and saying, Alison said. (laughs) (laughs) 
So giving way is also making room. I give way sign. <laughs> I give way sign. We have to make room for the traffic that is passing before we turn into the junction. And I would say that by making room for our husbands, we're allowing them space to grow into the role of spiritual leader of the marriage. Uh, giving way to our husbands, we make room for them to grow and develop in their decision-making and leadership. It's never really struck me until now that it takes a certain amount of confidence and sometimes courage for a husband to rise up and be the leader of the marriage and making way for him makes space for him to flourish. You'll, some of you will know that the introduction to the traditional wedding vows points out that marriage is for mutual benefit of one another. So as the wife gladly submits to her husband, this creates a wonderful atmosphere for her husband to love his wife sacrificially, which creates a wonderful atmosphere for the wife to gladly yield to her husband and so on and so on. It's a bit like the chicken and the egg, though. What comes first, the submit bit or the sacrificial love bit? In my experience, the sacrificial love bit definitely came first, and it helped me to learn to give way to my husband but maybe there's somebody here and it actually does have to be the other way around. By giving way to your husband, you give him room to be the husband he should be. He learns how to step up as the leader of your marriage and learns how to love sacrificially. So my experience of this is that although I experienced patient, kind, sacrificial love from Andrew, it was my volunt voluntary, willing, glad submission to him in marriage that created an atmosphere of respect that called him up higher to be the husband and leader in the marriage that I know he always dreamed of being. Okay, so submission creates an atmosphere of respect. It says in verse 33, so again I say... Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So it's that word respect again. Now, Andy Charlton last week pointed out that respect is becoming a bit of a meaningless word. Um, like, I hear young people in their vernacular using this word quite a lot. I don't really know what they're talking about. but um, So I'll tell you what the online dictionary says respect is in this context. It's to have due regard for someone's feelings, wishes, or rights. So Paul is saying that the husband's side of the covenant of marriage is sacrificial love for his wife. And the wife's side of the covenant is to have due regard for her husband's feelings, wishes, or rights. So why did Paul say wives must respect their husbands and not love their husbands? So I've thought about this quite a lot. And my conclusion is that, in general, husbands thrive on receiving the respect of their wives, and wives thrive by receiving sacrificial love from their husbands. And by thrive, I mean they do well, they do better, they grow, they develop, they flourish, they come into their own. So husbands do well, they do better, they grow, they develop, they flourish, they come into their own in an atmosphere of respect from their wives. So I asked Andrew... How do you like to be respected? 
And he said, <laughs> like, yeah, we were at the dinner table. And I thought, well, better ask him. And he says he really appreciates being properly listened to as opposed to, you know, like sort of listening in, with one ear and not disregarding what he's saying. And he appreciates that his wishes are carried out rather than being ignored. That's the, that's, that's the only two things he said. I thought, oh, there must be other aspects to respect as well. And here's a few more that came to my mind. Respect for Andrew means that I'll focus on who he is rather than what he may lack as a person and that I will focus on what is best for us rather than what is best for me. And finally, I'll speak well of him to others. I also think respecting Andrew will mean that I'll be prepared to put things right if I know I've disregarded him or ignored his advice and be prepared to say, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Will you forgive me? So I've done a quite a lot of it this week. <laughs> As I've been preparing this sermon, it's like, oh, I've just another thing I've remembered. So what does respect say? Well, respect says... I think your ideas are just as good as mine, if not even better. It's really hard. <laughs> I respect also says, I see you through the filter of my devotion to Christ. Respect says, I'm your best fan. Respect says, I think your way of doing things is just as valid as mine. I know, these are like, it's almost like I can't believe I'm saying these words. <laughs> That's right. Respect says, I see greatness in you. Respect says, I'm rooting for you. Respect says, I think you're an acceptable person. That's one of the big deals of our marriage. That when I came into marriage, I was like, why isn't he more like me? Until I realized that's actually a really bad idea, and I'm really glad that he's not like me. Respect says, I think you're worth my effort to fight to have a good marriage. And respect says, I think your interests are just as good as mine, even if I don't really understand them. So I don't really understand Formula One and what the point of it is. Like, you know, vroom, vroom. But respect says... It's a relevant interest for, for a grown person to have. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> okay, in conclusion, these two words, submit and respect, can be merged under the one banner of the word honour. If you seek to honour your husband by giving way to him, and by respecting him, you will be demonstrating your devotion to Christ. And my hope today is that you can reimagine the marriage relationship through the filter of your devotion to Christ. Now, the fact that you're in the room here today is an indication that all of you, in some way, are seeking new ways for your life, or you've actually committed yourself fully to being a follower of Christ. That means as a wife, you can reimagine what it means to be a wife who honors her husband. There did actually come a point in our marriage where I made it an act of my will 
that I would refer and defer to Andrew in all the key decisions of our lives. Now, I'll be honest with you, I haven't always lived up to the high calling of that, but you know what? I'm totally committed to the process of being a wife that honours her husband. I think I used the word bitter a lot in my introduction. It was the first word that the Holy Spirit impressed on me when I was pondering what to share with you today. And in fact, I got this word vitriol. Can you bring up the next slide, Jane? Yeah, that's, that's actually an old-fashioned picture of some... Vitriol is actually um, sulfuric acid, an old-fashioned word for sulfuric acid. It means bitter. And it means the, the bitterness of experience and the embitterment that you can take on because of bitter experiences is like having strong acid thrown at you or indeed throwing strong acid at other people. I don't know if you've ever thought of it in that light before. Now, some of you here, uh, I tread carefully because some of you have had really bitter experiences of marriage, either your own or, or your parents or someone close to you. And as a result, you could probably admit to being somewhat embittered, but at the heart of you, you're really very sad about it. Now, I believe that God wants to heal you today. He wants to turn what has been bitterness into sweetness. Now, years ago, Andrew and I received a prophetic word that God would take what had been bitterness for us and make us sweet. And it's funny, at the time when we received that prophetic word, I was like, I don't need that word. Why do I need the word bitterness to sweet? But you know, I did need that word. I needed it so badly in my life. I really needed to know the sweetness of God. And the sweetness of God in my life has actually it's changed everything for me like every part of my life has been impacted by this not just my marriage everything the way I relate to people the way I look at people the way I I look at people and see that every person is precious in the sight of God that every person is lovable that the loveliness of God is seen in every individual person that's in front of me that's what God has made sweet in my life and I'm offering you that promise that God can take what has been bitterness for you and make it sweet. And some of you, both men and women, have had difficult marriages, maybe even abusive, and your marriages may be ended and you're still in grief and you carry wounds. Well, you know, does everybody know what God says? God says he has come to bind up the brokenhearted. Some of you are in grief about not having been married or not being married now. And you just really don't know how you're going to be able to minister to married people because you still feel a wound. Well, God has come to bind up the brokenhearted. Some of you have become what you never, ever intended to be through your bitter experiences. And you react out of that pain and you've become prickly, critical touchy, hard to please. Well, today is your day for God to minister his love and his kindness to you, to to you, not for someone else, for you. Not for you to think, oh, this is a talk about marriage, this is a talk about wives, not for me. It's for you. God has come to show his deep love towards you. And some of you know you need to repent today. 
both women and men, married or not married, because you've allowed bitter disappointment to shape your life. God can lift that off you today and make all things new. Some of you need to repent because you've not honoured your husband, as you know you should and can, or you've not been self, or like for husbands, you've not been self-sacrificial in your love for your wife. I know Andrew's going to deal with that this week, but hey, God can start a work in you now. And some of you have heard about these new reimaginings in Christ and have never chosen until now to follow Jesus, to become a real Christian. Well, today's your day. Today is the day for all things to become new. If any of these things remotely apply to you, and I say remotely apply to you because I'm of the opinion that if there's a call to prayer, just take it. Why don't you come and receive God's tender love and mercy towards you? What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a general prayer. And then after I've prayed this, I would like to invite those who are just really hungry for God to make all things new to come and receive prayer. And leaders, if you can be ready to pray for people, if you've been a guide today and and you don't want prayer, then offer prayer to somebody else. Can we stand up together? And I'll pray over you all and then if anybody would love to receive some prayer just to really help them land this then there are many people here who are really happy to do that so father god we just want to bless your holy name rejoice in the truth that you can make all things new i want to thank you for jesus christ who although he was on equal terms with you was prepared to submit to becoming like a servant for the sake of winning us to you. He totally sums up what it means to willingly submit because he willingly submitted to death, even death by crucifixion, the worst death imaginable. And I pray that our utter gratitude to Jesus would enable us to filter all our relationships through the eyes of faith and devotion to him. And Holy Spirit, I pray you administer your healing and deliverance and fresh hope to those who, by faith, who are going to come to the front believing that you're able to make all things new in their lives. Thank you for all you've been doing and for all you want to do in our relationships. And I pray this in Jesus' awesome name. Amen. So I just, I just want to say, come, don't pull back. As I say, if it's remotely relevant to you, even if it's just, oh, I heard the word love and I want a bit more love, come to the front and receive some love and care and tenderness from the heart of God today because he really cares about your life and he wants to do you good. It's no shame to be in need before God. There was a time in my life when um, every time there was a call for people to receive prayer, do you know what? I just went because I thought, do you know what? What can I lose? I can't lose anything. I can only gain. So please, if there's something like going off inside of you, you're like, oh, I just can't. Just, just do it anyway. Just come. Okay? And leaders, if you want to get around people and give them your best prayers,
What a great word. We absolutely are going to spend time coming along and praying and ministering in the Lord. But my encouragement is, is that, you know, this is about you and God. This is about your response to Jesus. You know your life. God knows your life. And so while, we're, um, while we are sort of taking the time to pray with people individually, I'd really encourage you while you're, while you're waiting, talk to Jesus. Spend that time with Jesus. He knows it. Even before you've put the words on your lips, he knows what it is that you need to tell him about. He knows what it is that's brought you to this place this morning. And he is here. He is here. And we've already had an encouragement to really step out and respond to God this morning. And this is your moment to really step out and respond to what God is speaking to you about in your life this morning. Do take this opportunity. praying there and uh, God showed me a picture of somebody that has been uh, suffering from uh, arthritis I don't know if I'm saying it right you know that sickness of the bones and um, you've been going to to being treated by the uh, hospitals for, for time now and, and they haven't really tell you what's causing it but um, what's causing is that it got bitterness on your heart I think you've got something against your parents you feel like they haven't really done enough for you and you have a lot of resentments towards your mom especially that's what I feel in my heart if you feel like you've been failing pain in your bones and you've been, been actually been treated as I, I tried this or something that's hope I'm saying it right but just come on front and, and let us know who you are I, I would like to pray for you
just encourage you just to stand up, just start singing this song. Just really sense in my spirit that the word that Alison shared about God wanting to come and turn bitterness into sweetness. Just something that he wants to minister to people in the spirit right now. So I just want to encourage you to stand. If you want to just reach out to God with your arms where you are, lift an arm, lift both arms if you can. Just start saying to God, God, I'm giving you my bitterness. Take away my bitterness. Take away my hurt and my pain. I want to exchange that at the cross. Can we all pray that together? Say it out loud. Lord Jesus, I'm giving you my bitterness. I'm giving you my pain. I'm giving you my hurt. Come and heal me. Give me that sweetness back in my life again. I receive it now. And I see there's like a light bulb being switched on in people's lives where there's been darkness before and where there's been a bad taste before. God is changing that right now. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd, you'd fill these people and put a, a sweet taste in their mouths, even though they haven't eaten anything, that there's an acknowledgement in the Spirit that something amazing has changed. God, I pray for changed relationships this week. I pray for boldness to come to people to change by your Spirit. <laughs> 